Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel, and my guest today is Udet Dave. He's the author of Hidden Heroes, The Role of Physicians in Sports. Udet is just, he's recently just accepted um, going into medical school. So the reason he wrote this book, which is pretty fantastic, is just to gain some insight, some knowledge, and put himself out there a little bit more, which I think is absolutely fantastic. So the book will be in the show notes, so everyone can go snag that after they listen to the interview. But without further ado, who here is Udet Dave. Yes. Today, my special guest on For the Love of Sports, I have Udit Dave. He is the author of Hidden Heroes, The Role of Physicians in Sports. He's conducted research at Georgetown for the past three years, as well as at the Hospital for Special Surgeries in New, New York City. There we go. I've been there a couple of times. I guess I can't say it today. Recently committed to Tulane University School of Medicine. Udit, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good day to be alive, man. I appreciate you hanging out with me. Thank you so much. So the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Um, I just think it's always been like one of, it's one of those few things where you can sort of experience it on your own and then also experience it with a community. So I guess what I mean by that is you can go out and play whatever sport you want for the most part, and then you can also sit back and then watch that at an elite level on TV. So I think that's always sort of sort of been the thing that's pulled me towards it. And then um, that's also sort of pushed my love for medicine because um, I saw that as like a way to get involved with sports at the highest level. So um, that's always been sort of my my main mm-hmm. driving force. Very cool, man. Yeah, I think it's, it's um, you know, that, that would be my next question. But yeah, just to speak on that answer a little bit, it is pretty cool how sports, again, like we start playing them as children. And it's one of the biggest things in our lives. And, you know, we watch these people on TV make millions of dollars and shout out to them. We're all pretty jealous, but they're really just playing a kid's game, right? Like, it's kind of cool how, um, you know, people are capable of doing that and getting to that level, which I think is pretty cool. And, you know, hopefully that means you can get to that level to help them. And I, I love the name of the book, Hidden Heroes, the role of physicians in sports. Obviously, we'll talk about that in a second. So when, at what point did you start to develop the love of, I guess, medicine? Or did you start thinking that this was an opportunity was it, hey, I like medicine, I can do this in sports, or hey, I want to find a way to work with the highest level athletes, so I'll work in medicine? Which which direction did it go? It's sort of like in the middle of both of those, if that makes sense. So um, medicine is sort of like always in the back of my mind because my grandfather was a physician. So um, like a lot of the times I just remember growing up and hearing stories from him about, you know, ways he's able to help patients or like mysteries he's, he's able to solve, things like that. So it's always sort of in the back of my mind. And then I guess like the one like moment that sort of put it all together was when I was like 16. Um, I was playing basketball with my friends at the park and I dislocated my shoulder on fast break. Um, so just like the experience of like being like a serious patient for, for once and, you know, going to the ER and, you know, just seeing how far out of place my shoulder was like on the x-ray. And then, 
you know, they had the, the orthopedic surgeon come in and he just yanked my arm until it went back into the socket. And I was like back to normal. So <laughs> just, and that, that's what made you want to become a surgeon. Yeah, for sure. Cause I just, I knew how much pain, it was like the worst physical pain I'd ever been in, in my life to this day. So, um, and the fact that they were able to alleviate it, like one man had enough expertise to just sort of fix that in 20 seconds. Like I wanted to be able to do that for other people. Um, and you know, I, I had loved sports up to that point and seeing as this sort of happened in the context of me playing a sport that sort of, um, showed me that these two things are sort of interconnected and that I could be a part of that interconnectedness. That is pretty cool, man. I, I like the way you think about that. I think it's a cool way of also being able to give back, seeing how you were in that position, as you said, you know, mm-hmm. on a fast break, pop out your shoulder. Someone was able to then fix it, as you said, in 20 seconds, which I think is cool. And then making that connection again with your grandfather as well. I think all of that, it's a, it's a pretty good story. And I think the, the way you've gone about it is, is pretty damn interesting. So you, how did you, uh, so you're in Georgetown now, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Oh yeah. So I graduated in December, like semester. Oh, okay, cool. So you graduated only a few months ago as of recording and you were, let me see if I can say this, you were doing inner ear neurobiological research. Yeah, that's correct. What is that? Um, so the reason I got sort of involved with that is my mom is hard of hearing. So it was sort of when I was looking at labs to sort of join my sophomore year, this is sort of the one that stood out the most because it sort of had like a personal like implication to it. So basically what I, what I studied for those three years was um, embryological development of uh, inner ear neurons. So basically we know how hearing works, but we don't really know how like the specific circuitry to help wire all those connections work when you're developing as a fetus. So um, a lot of my research was just looking at mice and, um, you know, a lot of like, like dissections on embryonic mice and stuff like that to sort of see, um, you know, how these connections were being formed, like what proteins are involved, what genes are involved, things like that. So, um, yeah, it was pretty interesting. That is super interesting and it goes way over my head. So I appreciate there's smart people like you out there doing this research. Um, again, I think it's really awesome that you keep coming back to these, these family ties that you have and, and the reason for wanting to get into things. I think it's cool. Um, you know, sorry to your mom for being hard of hearing, but I think it's really interesting how you're able to take that negative essentially and trying to turn it into a positive for yourself and then for others around you, as, as you said before, you know, being able to help others do this being able to help your mom, but then also potentially other people in the future because of this research, I think is really, really interesting. And then I also saw with the hospital's special surgeries in New York City, because said at that time, you're exploring concussions with Dr. Daphne Ling. Um, so how, how do these two things, how are these things interconnected? And I guess, why did you choose concussions as well? Um, so they're, they're not really, I don't really see a deep connection with mm-hmm. them, but I guess like the way that you can see that they're connected is um, I think science is pretty much like the same formula for everything in terms of the way you think about things. So it's very sort of easy to take what I learned from those three years of doing research at college to then apply that to the research I'm doing right now. Um, so I've actually never experienced a concussion myself, thankfully, but um, actually my college roommate, um, he growing up he played like a bunch of different sports he played hockey he played um he played football so he's had a lot of concussions so just seeing sort of hearing about it and also seeing firsthand some of the struggles that he faces because of that made me really interested into it and then also um hss is you know really like one of the best places to 
to learn about sports epidemiology, which is something I was really interested in. So looking at um, looking at these patterns of injury in sports and then across like a, a greater scale, that's something that was really interesting to me. So this sort of combined all of that as well. Um, and it was like a way to look at it and then to be mentored by someone like Dr. Ling, who is obviously like one of the top people in the world at what she does. So um, that's sort of what drew me to that. Mm-hmm. And again, somebody in your life suffered from this, uh, you know, I don't know, concussions on illness, symptoms of a concussion. And you were able to then find a way to potentially help that person as well as many others through being interested in it. And concussions are pretty crazy. I've never had like a full blown concussion. I've definitely gotten the, uh, you know, seen, I think they're called minor concussions. They're just those small little ones. When you're a kid, you run into something kind of out of the whack for a couple minutes and you get back into it. Um, so I've never had like one of a, a very bad concussion, but I think it's really interesting. And I guess, what did you see? Like, what was your roommate, you know, as, as if you don't have to say my name or anything, but like, what was he struggling with? Especially, you know, college, you guys are in your early twenties. I mean, how, how many concussions did he have and how bad was he struggling at this point in his life? Um, he had three, like, uh, I think from middle school through high school. Um, and he was like fine in college, but he told me that he basically had to relearn how to read. Like Whoa. after, after the third one, he was reading at like a second grade reading, reading level as a senior in high school. So, you know, to go from, and he's also, he's also pre-med. So to like go from that to then, you know, the, the amount of extra work he probably had to put in compared to like the average college student is probably like a big, a big jump, a big difference. And so when you are researching concussions, how does that work? Like, are, are you working with athletes? Or are you just working with, you know, kids that come in that just recently had them? Like, especially at a place like Hospital of Special Surgeries. Mm-hmm. I mean, being here in the New York City area, I hear commercials for it on ESPN and WFAN all the time. So clearly, they know what they're doing. So they're getting the word out there. Haven't heard your name on there, but yet, yet, but I'm sure it'll be soon. So what exactly, what, how is Dr. Ling, you know, so high up in that, you know, as you said, she's one of the best in the world that she does. And, and what do you and her do to actually research these concussions? So um, there's a lot of sort of different ways you, you can go about it. So what we're working on currently right now is looking at, you know, sort of like a meta-analysis of all of like the previous concussion studies that have been published and sort of, you know, crunching the numbers through all of those to see if there's a pattern on like a really big national scale. Um, so that's one way you can do it is you can sort of, cause all these papers report like um, concussion incidents, things like that. Um, like what mechanism caused a concussion, um, what age group the concussion was in, things like that. Right. So you can sort of see if there's a pattern um, across, um, across like a wide population. And um, that's sort of one way to look at it. And then there's also like another lab at HSS that I actually, I don't work with. I haven't worked with them at all, but um, they, they basically use like motion capture technology to, they bring athletes in and then have them do like headers and stuff like that. And um, they can sort of pinpoint the exact force and where it's located and to see if it's like big enough to sort of cause some sort of brain injury. So I think that's really cool also. So it's basically a combination of like putting together a lot of, uh, a lot of work across the country and like looking if there's a pattern or not. That's really interesting. And what have you, have you guys found anything? I don't want to say cool, but have you found anything interesting uh, recently? Um, we're still in like the middle of like the data process phase. So it's hard to like say anything with certainty yet, but, Mm -hmm. um, we should have papers coming out soon. So, um, I guess we'll know by that point. And, and how long does this type of research take normally? Um, it could take like a 
few months, basically. Um, it also depends on, you know, the scope of um, how much data there is and things like that. But usually a couple, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. Oh, okay. I thought this was something that was over years and years and years. But if it's so, only yeah, a- the data collection could take years, but like the phase that the the part where we come in is not as um, as extensive. Mm-hmm. And so, with you know being in a global pandemic and everything kind of being shut down, are you still able able and capable of doing all this research, or is this kind of on pause right now? What are you guys doing? Uh, thankfully, like at least personally, like I didn't really have to go into the hospital that much anyway. So, like I'd be I'd have to go in once every few weeks. So. Um, basically it's undisturbed for me. Um, yeah, that's easy. Like, I know a lot of other labs that are like, you know, especially like the ones where you have to have people come in, they're pretty much like on standstill right now. So very cool. And so obviously this, uh, physician's background, this medical background that you have is, is super interesting. Um, did you always want to write a book about becoming a, a doctor in some, some capacity? Um, to be like completely honest, I never really enjoyed English class in high school or like the class I did take in college that are like more writing based. Um, there's never like a lifelong goal or like a dream or anything to write a book. Um, it's just sort of something that um, I like, kind of just thought of one day um, when I was in Australia, like maybe this might be a good idea. And then um, I got connected to New Degree Press through through the same roommate actually that had all the concussions um and we sort of we talked it out and they're like yeah this is a good idea and i kind of just wrote it kind of just wrote it look at that um yeah what did your what did your roommate write it on i have to assume something around concussions no actually he's um he's actually currently working on a book about um the opioid epidemic and um sort of the aftermath of that Mm -hmm. yeah that that's some pretty intense stuff so shout out to him hopefully some good things come out of that so Let's talk about your book a little bit. Again, Hidden Heroes, The Role of Physicians in Sports. I think that the title kind of tells us what it's about, but where did the idea for this come from? Um, so I sort of trying to think of, um, you know, like a way to combine medicine and sports, but I wasn't really sure of how to go about doing that. Um, but then I sort of thought, thought about things in sports that were like the most inspiring to me, aside from medicine. And the thing I sort of stumbled upon was like these athlete recovery stories. Um, I think the most, um, this isn't my favorite chapter in the book per se, but my favorite story of recovery is Adrian Peterson coming back from that ACL. Um, Cause he sort of like shattered every expectation of, um, of what a recovery looks like. And he sort of shifted the entire status quo. Like when we talk about ACL tears, like we talk about Adrian Peterson now. So, um, so that was one example that sort of jumped out immediately. And the thing that made it so spectacular to me was, um, you know, he gets hurt, he comes back and then he wins an MVP award. Like who nobody does that. Right. So, um, and he, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he get hurt? He got hurt like Christmas Eve. So it was one of the last weeks of the NFL season. And then, as you said, mm-hmm. he comes back and the next season wins the MVP only a few short months later when this was still at a time when ACLs, it was like a solid 12 to 18 months, if I'm not mistaken, before yeah. we were, you know, quote unquote, fully recovered. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So the fact he's able to come back and like, six months and start doing full like exercise nine months and then start, you know, being a bell cow back as he always was, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. So sort of the idea for it came from not only that story, but there's, you know, once you start thinking about, you know, what, are, what other sports recoveries are there? There's so many, right. So um, just seeing, I wanted to focus on the role of medicine to help, you know, bring that recovery about because as, you know, as freakish as a lot, like all these athletes are, um, it's really impossible to, to be able to do that alone. There's, de- there's gotta be some sort of 
component of modern science and medicine that's helping bring that about. So that was a portion, the angle that I wanted to take on, on that. I think it's awesome. And yeah, of course, I'm, my, my favorite's always, if you're on Twitter, it's like, well, I broke my ankle and I was back to work in like six months. It's like, dude, you are not, you know, getting hit on a daily, on a minute basis like you are <laughs> in the NFL. So those are always my funny. Uh, I always love laughing at those kinds of people. And I guess what, what did you, what are some of the other things you learned? I mean, I'm not going to sit here and accuse anyone of doing something, you know, quote unquote illegal, but we hear about people going to Germany all the time to get stem cells, you know, HGH is if done correctly is actually really, really great for your body. So what are some of the topics that you dove into in the book? Um, so a lot of what I dove into was um, just sort of like which process they chose for their, their surgery and like things after that. So um, when you bring up Germany, like Kobe Bryant's like the first example I think of, cause, um, he went there to get, when he got his, his, um, Achilles tear, he went there to get some sort of like blood therapy. Um, that's like the science about is not really like made really public. So I don't really know too much about it, mm -hmm. either, but, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the things I saw were like the average person doesn't really have access to any of like the treatment that these athletes have. And so, that sort of brings up like the ethical or moral question, like just because you're getting millions of dollars and like your body's reliant on, or like your job is reliant on your body being in, you know, the top percentile of like the world's population. Does that mean that you should have better access just because you can buy these things for yourself? And, um, you know, that's, I guess I'm, I don't know what the answer to that is, but um, it's just something to think about, right? Like the average person wouldn't have a recovery story like Kevin Durant or like, Russell Westbrook or Paul George, like the average person probably has some sort of limitations for the rest of their life after one of these sort of events. So that's sort of something that really stood out. I would say yes, personally. I mean, you make millions of dollars, you can pay for that stuff. That's just kind of how, that's kind of how it works, man. Especially as you said, their bodies are relying on it. So um, we all know who runs the world and it's, it's very, very rich people. And if you're going to help make someone billions of dollars, I'm very confident you'll get the treatment, every possible opportunity from the treatment. So as you said, you got connected with New Degrees Press. I, I'm connected with them as well. I'm ready. I'm currently in the process of writing my book. In the next few days, I'll hopefully get a green light saying, great job on getting to 25,000 words. Keep on going. But what was it like taking that leap of faith and, and actually committing to writing a book? Because like myself, you probably may have thought about writing a book before, you know, I had all these ideas and I put them down, but I never did anything with it. What was it like finally taking that leap and actually committing to the process? Um, yeah, I think, honestly, I think the hardest part of the process was when I had that completed manuscript or like I had the completed, like full, the full text and, you know, just putting it out, just like clicking that like release button on Amazon. Um, just because, um, I think that's like the biggest leap of faith because you can write all you want on your own computer and like no one's ever going to read it. It doesn't really matter. But the moment, I think the moment where you like realize like, yeah, like I have something here that people should read or it, this could help someone out or someone could enjoy this. And like the, the moment you believe in yourself and you put that out, I think that's the biggest thing. I think the biggest part of it was realizing that I had written something that was really sort of worthwhile, like, and worth someone's time to sp spend 15 bucks and read. So that's awesome, man. Kudos to you. I think, you know, everybody, there's only so many authors on planet earth with, with, you know, published books through a real source with editors and all that, you know, we can find those, uh, you know, self-published people all the time and shout out to them. They took the time to an effort to do it. But I think going through this process, it's very eye opening 
on what it takes to write a book. And I think one of the coolest parts is just getting to interview so many different people. And I know you had the opportunity to interview Dr. James Andrews, who I think, you know, if, if you pay attention to sports in any capacity, you've heard of his name, whether you know what he does or not. So what was it like being able to kind of, you know, reel in a whale, essentially like Dr. James Andrews potentially for your book? I wasn't even going to like email him. It wasn't, I didn't think it was worth his time, honestly. Um, but I basically sent, um, I sent his secretary an email basically saying that I read his book um, and I really enjoyed it. And I left a review and I was hoping if he had like five or 10 minutes to talk, like that would be great. And, you know, I don't get, I don't hear anything for a week. So I'm like, okay, like that's what I expected. And then I get an email one day that's like, your interview has been scheduled for like this day and this time. Not like, Oh, one works for you. It's like, Nope. Like it's like this 30 minute slot or you can just like not talk to him. Those are the two options. So off the bat, you see like how, how busy this person is. And then um, we sort of just talked over the phone. I recorded the conversation and it was just like, it was amazing. Cause like, that's one of my heroes is one of like, if I could pick a career trajectory to have, it'd be his, I think. So to be able to talk to him sort of at towards the end of that career, and just sort of hear his insights through like all like the, like the decades he's practiced and all sort of the superstars that he's helped is just amazing. Well, hopefully your name becomes as uh, synonymous with surgeries as Dr. James Andrews will hopefully one day be saying Dr. Udit Dave. Oh, he went to Dr. Dave. My goodness. Good for him. He'll be very fine then. Um, so yeah, man, hopefully. And what about, um, what about some other interviews? I know you had some other cool ones. Did you get the opportunity to speak with some players? Did you get the opportunity to speak with other physicians um, or agents, maybe who or team physicians? What, what types of other people did you get to interview for the book? Um, I think maybe the coolest like individual that I spoke to was Steve Francis over the phone. Um, he's an NBA all-star with like the Yao Ming Rockets. Um, he's just the coolest guy. Like I think his story um, I didn't, his, his injury sort of pushed him out of sports. So that sort of wasn't um, really fitting like the, the scope of my book. So I couldn't really include his story, but just like talking to him, um, his life story is probably the coolest that I've ever heard. So he was actually, and he, he actually put out an article on the Players Tribune um, in his own words about all of this. But um, basically he was, um, he dropped out of high school and he was just selling drugs and sort of going down the wrong path in that regard. And there's one corner where he sort of worked. Um, There's like this pole with a basket on it um, where like they'd, they'd shoot around to basketball sometimes. And basically one time he was just playing pickup there and this junior college coach um, saw him play and he was like, yeah, like, yeah, like you're pretty good. How about you come to California and play for me? So he's like, yeah, like I got nothing else basically going on. So he just went cause why not? And obviously he was pretty good. And then he transferred to Maryland and then he ended up going um, in the first round of the draft the year after that. So like, if you can imagine like being a high school dropout selling drugs to being a first round pick in three years and playing in the NBA um, with like a hall of fame center in Yao Ming, like it's just the biggest turnaround you can sort of hope for. And I think pers- as like a personal growth story, I think that's sort of the coolest, probably the coolest interview I've had, even though it didn't make it into the book, I think is like the best conversation I had. Well, hopefully you can release something about it because that does sound incredible. As you said, he wrote something about it on the Players' Tribune. But I think, I mean, that is really, really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think I could assume any type of turnaround like that unless unless hopefully I release this book and then I'm on ESPN every day. Other than that, mm-hmm. man, I don't really see anything like that happening for myself, which is totally fine. I'll take the long game. But that is that is super super interesting and i mean with all these interviews i mean again you know i'm i'm going through the process now it's taking a lot of time 
how much, how many interviews did you do? How many words did you write? How long was this entire process for you? Um, so in terms of number of interviews, I honestly like stopped counting after 50. Um, I think I did like 65, probably around there. That's a good estimate of how many interviews. Um, and then the entire, like the entire process took, I think seven or eight months. Um, but like a majority of the writing I just did, I did it in two weeks. Whoa. Yeah. Um, I was uh, studying abroad in Australia at the time. Um, and at the time, like my grandfather had just passed away also. So it was sort of like looking back on it, like in the moment I didn't realize like this is what I was doing, but I guess like a year later, like reflecting, looking back on it, I think I was just like in a dark spot and, um, I sort of turned to, turned to like this and just gave it my all. And I think that's why I was able to do that in two weeks. And it sort of kept me busy and like, was really good for like that whole grieving process. But, um, yeah, I really don't think it's doable in, <laughs> in two weeks. I think you need to have some sort of like special circumstance like that, where just like nothing else in your mind and like just abundant free time which like obviously the average person doesn't really get that ever so well we are in quarantine right now so That's a couple of people out there probably do have it and i've been very very lucky uh to utilize this time well i don't believe in luck i've been very fortunate that i've been able to have this time so i've been able to really pump out a boatload of interviews like yourself maybe not quite that many for the book but definitely have, have done a lot of interviews got to talk to an incredible amount of people and just hear all these really, really cool stories of how people got into sports and what they're doing and how they're, you know, taking it to the top every day. So you and I are on the same wavelength there, I think is fantastic. And so with writing the book, what exactly was your goal? Like, what did you want to get out of being an author and, and writing this book on, on sports physicians? Um, so I guess like long, long term, my dream job would to be like the head team physician or like the head surgeon for a pro sports team. So, um, at the very least, like this book would be a way for me to learn about what it takes to get there and to sort of talk to people who are already in that position to like, sort of give me like an excuse to reach out and like talk to them basically. Um, so that was like the primary, like at the bare minimum of like, this is what happens and like, I'll be satisfied. Um, but then beyond that, you know, anytime, I feel like anytime you write a book on anything, like the amount of hours and the amount of passion you have to have about that subject um, it really shows that you know what you're talking about end of the day. So I thought this would, you know, look, obviously look good on like a med school application or like it'd be something to talk about during an interview, things like that. So um, more like on the technical side, that was sort of also, you know, in the back of my mind, like, yeah, like this is going to help me long run. But um, yeah, I think that's like a fair answer. Just like combining like the learning aspects with like the tangible benefits it could get me like long run. I think that's what really pushed me to actually do it. And it makes sense. I mean, being able to network with doctors again, like James Andrews, um, being able to talk to people within sports and really understand what you need to do and how you need to do it to get to where they've been, but also understand who these players are and what they've been through again to understand how you can help them, I think is extremely important. Mm -hmm. And then again, the, just the networking opportunity is incredible, but then also, as you said, the learning. You're, you took that much time out of your life to learn about all these things, then put them down in a way that other people can read and learn from them. As you said, I think that looks pretty damn good on a med school application. And clearly it worked because right, yeah. you, you got into Tulane. But before we hop to that for, for a quick second, what, what has, you know, so you released the book, number one bestseller on Amazon, if I'm not mistaken, congratulations there. The link will be in the show notes for anybody that's interested. What else has come from it? I have a pretty long list of things that have, uh, that have come from the book, but what are some of the ones that you've enjoyed the most that came off uh, that come to the top of your head? top of your head uh, i think the coolest thing definitely was 
actually got the chance to be on ESPN on um, 98.7 FM, like the New York radio. Um, so that was really cool. You know, I was there for like 25 minutes, um, talked about everything from sort of the reasons I wrote the book to um, like what, what I learned from it. And then I think the coolest thing or like the thing that like I was shocked to find myself in that position was like towards the end, they're like, where do you see medicine going? And I was like, like, I'm not even at this point, I, I hadn't even been accepted anywhere to med school. I was like, why are you asking me? I don't know. Like, but I, I mean, I gave like a better, a better answer, mm-hmm. than that, but it's just like, I never thought that I'd be in that position, like with like thousands of people listening to me, like asking for my opinion. I thought that was sort of, that was one of the first few moments where I sat back and I was like, wow, like I really, I really did this. That is awesome, man. Yeah. Just, uh, it, once you write a book, you're the expert, right? So people are going to have questions for you. So, um, you know, hopefully you came up with a pretty good answer on the fly. Uh, so being on ESPN is pretty cool. Larry Hardesty. Uh, I listen to him every once in a while. If I'm in my car late at night, he's a pretty cool dude. And that must've been a lot of fun again, 25 minutes, half hour on ESPN where you just get to talk about what you love so much to do. Uh, I also saw you were cover story of a local magazine you had a book signing you were on um an asian television network if i'm not mistaken here in the states as well uh, i mean what is what was all the publicity like around the book and and just kind of getting that information out there just a little bit further so more people could learn about the subject that you're so passionate about sure yeah no like so the publicity like i really didn't think like i didn't expect that many people to like care about what i wrote or to even read it um but sort of one thing that sort of comes later like once you're about to put it out is like the pricing of the book and so the print the print copy is 15 bucks and I couldn't really like that's more like a publisher set like mark so I couldn't really toy with that at all but the ebook I sort of had full control over how much I want to price it at so I literally made it a dollar just because like I didn't really care about like how much I sell or anything like that I just wanted it to be um, sort of accessible for anyone who'd want to read it like a dollar is really not you know it's not going to deter anyone from, from purchasing it or reading it if they want. So I think that's something that really helped was I made, I went out of my way to make it accessible. And then sort of just in terms of the publicity, like a lot of the stuff that I did was just like people reached out to me. It wasn't like me trying to find stuff to do. So um, I think that was really humbling because it was sort of a lot of like the ESPN, I, I reached out to them. I emailed them like, Hey, like I just published a book. Um, is there anything that like you could have me on for? And they're like, yeah, like this sounds like a good idea. But um a lot of the other stuff was like, like the uh, ITV thing is sort of someone reached out to me and was like, Hey, would you be interested in doing this? So um, I think it was like a, I was really happy with sort of how everything came to fruition. Like I had the Im- beyond an impact I could have imagined I, I could have. So um, yeah, I'd say that was like my reaction to it. I love it, man. And I'm, I'm taking some notes on my side, so I know what to do. Reach out to ESPN, check. I will make sure that that gets done. And you also have a pretty funny story, a funny in, in some people's terms. I think funny in your terms, but I could see how some other people won't, uh, won't love it too much. But I know you interviewed somebody, and I don't know if we can say their name or not, but it was going to be in a huge, huge portion of the book. But unfortunately, they did not get clearance and it had to get pulled. Tell me a little bit about how, how frustrating of an event that might have been. It's funny, like I told, like before we like started this, like I told you, like it's like a funny thing, but in the moment I was so angry. Like this is like, <laughs> this took away like hours and hours of work, but I can laugh about it now because it doesn't really like matter anymore. But um, I actually can't like say names, <laughs> unfortunately, but um, basically an Eastern Conference uh, NBA team, uh, I spoke to one of their physicians um, and it was like, a great interview, probably one of my favorite chapters in the book. Um, and 
sort of this like a week before the book's supposed to come out right so I'll, everything's final I'm like sitting back I'm just like you know waiting for the edits to come back so I can make changes I need to and all of that and um, I get an email like on my Georgetown like school email I get it like an email from like the team's vice president of marketing or like something like that one of their front office guys there's like a whole like two paragraph thing about um, you can't print this chapter about our team and all this stuff. And like, I had said nothing, but I had said nothing but good stuff about them, obviously. But um, there's like, yeah, like we don't, we have like a strict policy. Like we, we don't talk about any of our medical stuff, like with the press. And I had just turned 21. Like, so I, I emailed them back. I'm like the press, like I'm literally like a 21 year old college kid. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, Oh, like there'll be like real legal ramifications and stuff. If you publish this and like, you can't let this go to print. And, at that point, I'm still like, well, like, I'm going to print this. Like, there's no reason for me not to. Like, I didn't say anything in here. And, like, you're not giving me a reason why. And then, like, I talked to the publisher and everything. They're like, yeah, like, just, you can't just pull it out. Like, we're going to print this book in a week. Um, so now I'm, like, panicking because, like, I don't want to, like, make a whole thing out of this. But I did work on it. And then the publisher is giving me, like, a different, like, a different thing to say. So I'm just, like, stuck in this position. And then eventually, like, I talked to the doctor that I interviewed. And he's like, yeah, like, they're gonna give me such a hard time if you publish this. So like as a personal favor, can you take this out? So I was like, yeah, like fine. Like I don't want to mess with someone's career. So mm-hmm. I eventually took it out and like, it's still like on a lot, like on a file on my file on my laptop somewhere. But um, that's like the, like the hidden like collector's edition chapter, I guess. <laughs> there you go, man. I love it. You should just redact all names. I think at that point, just like leave those, what those giant black spaces yeah. <laughs> um, without names on it. Thankfully, I hate that city and I hate that team so much. Um, that I kind of wish you did publish it, but I understand you don't want to get sued. You don't want that doctor to have any uh, ramifications, as you said, and, and hopefully down the line, when you reach out to him after you're getting through medical school or you're looking for that next internship and you can say, Hey doc, remember what I did for you? I think I would really love an internship if you don't mind and see what you can do there. Um, you know, hopefully he's closer to the New York city area to make your life a little bit easier, but until then we will see, man. I just think, I mean, it, as you said, it's not like a haha funny story, especially in the moment. But now, as you said, looking back, it's whatever the book was still great. Still got you publicity, still got you the goals that you wanted to do, uh, especially getting into medical school. So worse things have happened, I guess. Right. Yeah, man. Like end of the day, like I was sort of okay with it because they're like, yeah, like the entire front office read this and like we collectively made a decision to not let you publish this. I was like, wait, so you're saying the entire front office read it? Like, that's a, that's a good deal. Like, I'll take that. That's cool. Right. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully they did. Don't know how many of them are still there, um, surprisingly, <laughs> but it is what it is. Uh, so that, that is pretty cool. And as I said, it did get you to the point of where you wanted to go. You got into medical school. So, I mean, no, this was not the only thing that got you there. As we said before, you know, you conducted research at Georgetown for three years. You were working at the hospital of special surgeries, um, doing research there. And now you finally committed to Tulane University School of Medicine. How much of a weight was that off your back when you finally got that acceptance letter and you can say, okay, I, I'm in medical school. We're good. That was just like, probably, it was just like a rush. Like, I don't know how to describe, I don't think I've ever been that, like, that happy that, like, at once. Um, I guess, like, when people have, like, a kid or they get married, I guess, like, maybe, like, I guess I'll you got time you got time up to this point like that's the coolest thing that's happened so like it was just like it was more validating than anything it was just like all this like the sacrifices I'd made to like study instead of like do something fun for like three years of college was like sort of um it all paid off at the end and it was like I'd want I'd want this for like for so long at that point like since I was like 16 I'd want to I'd wanted to go to med school for sure so um 
to have like a school like Tulane like take a shot take a shot on me basically it was like it felt really good I think you earned it. I don't think they're taking too many shots, man. You've done clearly enough, uh, and and you've showed shown how much uh, how committed you are to medicine and, and helping others. And if I'm not mistaken, Tulane, that's in New Orleans, right? Yes, sir. Okay, yeah. I think you're gonna have a lot of fun while you're down there. I'm. I <laughs> I, I remember when I was down there and how close Tulane is to Bourbon Street and you know the the, the French Quarter. I think you're going to be just fine, man. You're going to be just fine. You'll have enough fun down there. So it's well worth it. And so with that, I mean, I guess, like, how does the process work? Like you want, you know, you said your dream job is to become, you know, top team physician, potentially on the career arc of Dr. James Andrews. And I know he is known for very specific tasks. Mm-hmm. How, how do you, do, do you from now start looking at something very specific you want to get into, whether that's ACLs, Tommy John, um, you know, Achilles tears, or do you have to be very general at first and get very good at a bunch of different things to kind of decide later on in your career where you want to go? Um, so honestly, like the fact that I'm even thinking that far ahead, sort of like a lot of other people that are like entering their first year of med, like med school would tell me that I'm crazy. I think like it's sort of so, so far, far in the distance where it doesn't even matter right now, really. But so basically, like, at the end of your four years of med school, you have to pick, like, a general, like, area of medicine. So um, as of right now, I want to do orthopedic surgery. So, like, muscles, bones, all that. Um, so you basically get a residency at that point, and that's five years um, after med school. Um, and at the end of that, you pick a fellowship. A lot of people pick a fellowship. So fellowships are, like, spine, like, um, like there's sports medicine, which is what I want to do. So there's, like, a bunch of different, like, it's basically localized by like region of the body or like it's like by sports medicine. So you do that. And then basically like um, from that point to get to like a professional team, you basically have to practice for a bunch of years, like stand out, um, you know, do a lot of research, things like that. And then hopefully get noticed by a pro sports team and there's an opening you can like sort of (laughs) slide in there, but um, yeah, it's still like a lot of like, it's like still 15, 20 years in the future to get to that point, I think. It it sounds like a long time, but uh, you'd be surprised. I mean, I don't know about you, but two months in quarantine feels like it's been about, it feels like it's been eight years, but it also feels like it's only been two weeks. So it's this, this whole weird, like it's almost May, like what the heck's going on? So um, no, man, I think it's just so freaking cool what you've been able to do with this book. Hopefully I can get, you know, one-tenth of the publicity and one-tenth of being noticed as you did. Um, but it's, 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 it's been a lot of fun getting to write this book and I'm sure you had an absolute blast with it as well. What, um, what's, as you said, you know, you might have that second edition when that, when that doctor, when his part comes out, but is there any, did you enjoy the process so much that you want to, you know, thinking about other book ideas that again could kind of advance you in your field just a little bit further? Um, I was sort of like non-committal on that to myself for like the longest time. And then, you know, I pulled that first book out of the box at like the opening ceremony or whatever. I was like, yeah, like I gotta get another one of these, like, um, there's no feeling like when, you know, when you get, when you see your physical copy of your book and like every single word in there is yours and like every story in there is yours. And like, it's just fully authentic to yourself. I think it makes you like hungry to write another one. Like, I think the other cool thing about this book is that, you know, like all these chapters are about like different athletes, but like almost every chapter also has like a piece of me in it. So every chapter, like either the hook or like some portion of the middle is like, why why I like this athlete or like why this athlete is inspiring or like you know a moment like why one of their sports moments is also an important moment in my life so um I think it's like sort of a cool thing like 
especially for, for people that know me that bought the book that sort of read it. They're like, Oh, like their names are in the book. They like freak out when they see it. And it's like things like that are like, those moments are cool to have. Cause like, I didn't tell anyone I was going to put their name in the book. Right. They just like saw it. <laughs> so they're like to see, like get those texts or like those calls. Like that's really cool. But then the other, like, I think the thing that's more fun is like, um, I've got like messages on LinkedIn or like emails and stuff. They're like, Oh, like I read this chapter. And like, I also love like Kobe's like 60 point, like final game, things like that. Like, that's what really makes it all worth it. Um, so I definitely want to have that sort of experience again. Like when I'm going to have the time to do that now, looking forward, like, I don't know, but hopefully I get to write like another one of these at some point. I love it, man. Good stuff. Well, Udit, this has been absolutely fantastic. Udit Dave, author of Hidden Heroes, The Role of Physicians in Sports. The link will be in the show notes for anyone to grab it. It's a dollar. It's a dollar on Amazon, everybody. Come on, it can't be that difficult. I recently committed to Tulane University School of Medicine, soon to be of the likening of Dr. James Andrews. Udit, appreciate your time today, man. Thanks, man. Thank you all so much for listening to this conversation with Udet. As I said, super, super interesting the way he went about wanting to write the book, how he then wrote it, and what he did afterwards I just think is absolutely fantastic. So please check out all the links in the show notes that will include the book itself. Please also make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you're listening, but preferably if it's on Apple or iTunes. So thank you all so much for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of, so I appreciate you giving me some of yours, and I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yes!